you don't have happy employees, you're not going to have happy customers. You have happy employees, you have engaged employees, people who are really truly engaged with the company, then you're going to have that engagement with your customers and your board is going to see the reflection of that in the way you're actually executing. Welcome to the CIO Exchange podcast. I'm Eden Porter de Leon. In this episode, we cover the relationship between the CIO and their board of directors. What are the expectations, pressures, and the opportunities that the CIO faces when working with their company's board? I had the chance to talk with Warren Perlman, CIO of Ceridian, to get his perspectives on what it takes to have a strong relationship with the board, how to build trust, change minds, and influence members, and ultimately, show them how you're executing on your vision. I wanted to talk to you about something really interesting that you provided some insight on, and that's sort of the CIO and how that CIO's role is changing over like the next five years versus where it is now with regards to strategy, with regards to how you work with the board, how some CIOs may be on the board. Maybe you can start by talking about what you do right now and what's, what's it like at Ceridian and can kind of have a sense of what that strategy role is and where you see that going. Certainly. So at Ceridian, obviously, as a typical CIO, responsible for technology, infrastructure, networks, um, you know, DevOps, you know, in, in some degree, there, there's a little bit of a separation at Ceridian, um, but then also cybersecurity. And the, you know, where the boards are coming in and the strategy is, is most focused these days is around that cybersecurity situation where, you know, there, there is a very broad surface area and opportunity for attack that changes daily. And you feel like there's, there's like a gap there? Like when the, when the board comes and they meet, they, that I guess I'm really curious about where's that shift? Like when did that happen? When was that aha moment where they realized, you know what, our budget has increased for security or its need to increase and we don't have that capability that the CIO would bring to the conversation to really be able to make those decisions? It, it's changed. It's changed over the last, I'd call like, you know, two to four years where they were the, um, the boards are coming and saying, okay, we need to know and we don't know. And this is a bit of a dark, you know, deep hole. And what if you know, something happens to our organization. Where, where do we go if something like that happens? Uh, most CIOs, I'd like to think anyway, you know, have already been prepared for this. They have, you know, a risk team, they have a, uh, a CISO, they have red and blue teams, and they're designing a true uh, agile cybersecurity model where not only are they waiting and preparing for things to happen, but they're, they're actually doing things against their own platforms to try and validate if things are actually broken. So when a new, a new CVE comes out, um, you know, not just sitting back and waiting for something to happen, it's about doing discovery inside your organization, having your red team actually do an attack to see if something is vulnerable, uh, and then carrying forward. Now, it's on the CIO to take that information, put it into a consumable format, uh, you know, for the CEO, the president, the board, the chair, uh, to say, hey, look, you know, this, these are the real hard facts. The, you know, there, there is gaps, there's potential investment that we need to make, uh, and this is what we're going to do to protect the organization. Uh, and that's how the CIO, you know, at, at this point is really starting to elevate uh, kind of where they're going. The, the other aspect of that is around customer engagement, customer strategy, and validation, right? It's about being in the face of the customer. I talk to our customers every day. I like that, in their face. Yeah. No, you have yeah. to. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a reality. It's, yeah. it, if, you, if you're not available to your customers... Uh, and if any of your executives in your organization are not available to your customers, your customer is not going to have any trust, right? So if the customer can say, hey, I'm going to email warren at ceridian.com, and now everybody on the podcast can have that too, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> is, you know they, they're going to get an immediate response. And the response is going to be, how can I help you? What are your concerns? What can I do to alleviate them uh, and engage with them at that level? And the second bit of that is the employee. You have to make sure that your teams and your employees feel like they're empowered to do the things that they need to do. 
because if they're not, if you don't have happy employees, you're not going to have happy customers. You have happy employees, you have engaged employees, people who are really, truly you know, engaged with the company, uh, then you're going to have uh, that engagement with your customers, and your board is going to see the reflection of that in the way you're actually executing. No, I think it's interesting. And so, so the CIOs, a lot of CIOs have been ready for this the, from the security standpoint, from the employee experience standpoint, and the customer. And now the board is being more interested in them from a strategy perspective. Are some, are CIOs, you feel like across the board, I mean, everyone's different, of course. Do you feel like they're ready for that? Or do you feel like there's a new capability that really has got to be uh, built for them to be able to engage in that kind of way? There's different types of, of CIOs. Right. So, you know, and I don't want to be careful and I'm not, I'm not looking to slight anybody out there. There, there are CIOs who have very technical backgrounds. Okay. And, and are getting into this whole management aspect. Um, that's kind of where I came from. And then there's CIOs who come from project management backgrounds and know how to run projects, but may not necessarily have, you know, the, the, the knowledge about the technologies that they're actually implementing. Uh, and so it's about, learning and understanding from either end, whichever aspect you're coming from, you have to continually learn to understand you know, what it is that you're putting in place and how to protect your organization. So I would say a good chunk of CIOs, yes, they've had this in place uh, and have been doing the necessary work for the past number of years. Where they might not be as successful uh, is in the upward pitch, right? You, you have to, if you feel there is a gap Right, in your budget and you need to invest more money to build these technologies. You have to be able to put together a formal proposal. You have to be able to take that proposal and sell it to the president and the CFO and the board right, and get their buy-in. But what you'll find now versus four or five years ago is they'll be like, well, why didn't you come sooner? Right? Where four or five years ago, oh, no, it's, it's technology, we're not going to spend the money. And now they're interested. Now they want to know, if I invest a million dollars, and I'm just using it as a, as a round number, where does that save me? What kind of ROI am I going to you know, receive in return? What kind of reputational impact am I protecting against? Um, and it comes in a number of different factors, right? Every investigation that you have to do because of a bad actor costs money, right? And if you have 10 or 20 or 30 or 100 of them every year, you have to know what that's going to cost you, you know, as you run through. And if you say, you know, if I have these number of incidents and it costs me $2 million a year, but I invest a million dollars to protect against many of these things, and I see a return of a million dollars, well, that's a no-brainer for the board. That's a no-brainer for the CFO. Yeah. Where does it, where does it get tougher, though? Because I imagine some are, it's really hard to fight for that kind of a budget. If you can't, if it's, it's just getting your arms around how to measure that. Uh, where's it, where do you find it tough when it's like brand, trust, and you might not be able to tie it like directly to incidents. How do you? And maybe how? Maybe that's and that's evolving too. I imagine. You're, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think that's that's the fundamental flaw, right? If you can't measure what you're protecting against, you're not going to get buy-in. If you can say, okay, we're measuring, you know, the number of attacks that we see on a daily basis, the number of phishing attempts that actually come through, uh, the number of employees who go down uh, in productivity because their machines are infected with viruses, or they've been taken offline, or they've been cryptoed. Um, and then the most important one out of all of that is the reputational impact that has your organization when you're the next big company that's breached and you have to announce it and you have to pay fees and fines and all of those sort of things that's detrimental to your organization. Yeah, that's that loss of trust. <laughs> right. And as a global company, um, GDPR is very impactful for me. Right. So, you know, GDPR fines are not cheap. Um, and, 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 and that's the last thing that you ever want, right? You don't want to be that company that's, you know, or I leaked, you know, X number of uh, records for people around the globe. And because, you know, almost all of them fall into the EU or into, 
you know, uh, any company or, or sorry, any country that is covered by GDPR, uh, it could be devastating, right? So to invest uh, budget percentages, you know, against protection of those large numbers, the boards are getting it. They, they, they really understand. And, you know, we have to thank a couple of companies. We have to thank Facebook. <laughs> you have to thank, you know, uh, you know yeah, Equifax those, those and, and those trailblazers <laughs> who, listen, they had, they had a lot of, they, they, they took the risk, let's call it that, right? And they felt the pain. Right, we don't want to be the next one, and, and and no CIO who's listening to this podcast wants to be the next one. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and where do you see um, that? I mean, as it rolls evolving, one of the other things I think is really interesting um, that you know I, I know you're involved in is that sort of you know ethical AI sort of and and seeing where that you know in, involves. Is that something that the board gets? Do they understand like you know the the new technology and or is this something that they're actually asking for now? They're like, hey, look at from a risk standpoint, from these standpoints, you bring in something AI, we understand the ethical nature, you know, or that's that's needed on all these sort of, you know, these things. Do they get the tech for good stuff? They, I, I, look, I, I, the, the answer is n- not really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look, I mean, a, a board wants to know how are we going to make money in this technology? Um, is the technology safe for use? Is it ethically governed? You know, not not necessarily globally or by a country, but by by the company. Um, and so they're keenly interested, but your customers are also very interested. What are you doing next in ML? What are you doing next in AI? Because that's the fascinating thing. Because it's like it's like you have this expectation, this consumer experience that a customer wants, that the employees want, and also the way that you operate, the tech for good piece. And that the board is like, no, we need to make money. And there's probably you know some good board members that really get that connection between you know, hey, the tech for good piece. But do you feel like there's still kind of a, a disconnect? Like you have this two you know competing forces that are like, hey, you know, bottom line, hey, tech for good or, or, or is that are you able to con- pick, pick the company right so what type of company are we talking about in, in the technology space they totally get it yeah. right so you know in in, the, in an area where you're providing software as a service or you're providing cloud services or you're providing you know uh, technology-based consumer software um, you know if you're a Netflix for example all that yeah, of course they get it but if you're like a I don't know, uh, a grocery or, or a you know, chemical company or a shipping company, maybe not so much. Maybe, maybe you know, because that's not really in your realm uh, of knowledge. And shipping is changing too, don't get me wrong. I just, you know, manufacturing is another one. They're all getting smarter, um, but it's hard to pick, right? So I think from a technology standpoint, yes, they totally get it. From the, from the other side of the fence, maybe not as much. Uh, and it really also depends on the size and scale of the customer that you're talking about, right? We we deal with everyone, right? Small, all the way up to enterprise, Fortune 100, 500, you name it. They all come with varying aspects of capabilities to be able to integrate and use these technologies. The one thing that is consistent is what are you guys providing? What's next in your product, right? But that's what they're asking me. It's not what we're asking them. And how do you feel like that's gonna, you know, change over the next, you know, five years? You feel like that that there's gonna be more pressure on that, you know, hey, you have to be doing, you know, tech for good. This is like for some, you know, organizations that may not do it at all, they got to do some. Some that are doing a little bit of it have to do a lot of it because you feel like there's that gonna be that pressure from that that consumer, from the public to say, hey, look, it, we need to make sure you as a company, not just be a technology first company, but also be a technology for good first. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that you know the. Again, the consumer, right, and in our particular case, the cloud consumer of our software as a service solution wants to know that not only are we providing them products that are viable for what they want to do, uh, but that we've built in the necessary protections to make sure that the software is doing the good stuff, not the yeah. bad stuff. Yeah. 
Um, and so they're asking all the right questions. And what will happen over the next five years is you'll have to build in the in in intrinsic capability of your product and be able to demonstrate that those capabilities exist. So you have you know uh, certifications, SOC 1, SOC 2, Type 2, ISO certifications, you know, NIST and all of those things. Those are, are very traditional you know, here's how we govern and run our business, yeah. but they're gonna start to ask for more. They're gonna ask for metrics and details and what does it really do? How is it doing it? What information is it using? Is that information public, private, sensitive? What type of kind of configuration are you using in order to get ML and, and, and AI, more importantly, uh, to share this information? So proof is gonna be in the pudding. And that, that's, that seems like, it's, it's so complex. Right. It's so complex. I imagine over sort of the, you know, the next, you know, five, 10, 15, you're going to be, you're going to, you get to tackle that, that wonderful problem of complexity and how do I know exactly what the state was of that one container in that one environment, you know, at that particular time so that I can make sure that, you know, I maintain that. Uh, that. Yeah, the pendulum is going to swing, right? We, we, we've gone already at the far end of the pendulum where there is no privacy. Privacy has been lost over the past 10 years. What we're seeing now is that pendulum is going to swing really fast to the other side, which is everything is going to be private and protected. And then when you start to implement AI, with this private and protected information, how do you actually prove that what you're using is acceptable to use, right? And, and those are the things that will you know, sort of come out. And then the ethical piece is tied to that, but it's also tied to making sure that the, the AI that you're building doesn't have any of your biases built into it. Right, and and that that is a whole different you know ball game and ball because because essentially a lot of the stuff that we're doing we're just is experimentation. Like we don't we don't know how like you know it took us years to figure out well, what's social media doing to us. What are all these different things doing from a human perspective? It takes a while for it to permeate you know the culture, and then it takes a while for it to go through the culture you know and you know several years. And then we don't see what the result is until you know ten fifteen you know years on down the road. It's like oh wow that wasn't really good. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't do that. Uh, and where where do you feel like? we're heading in that direction with certain things, like we're really in the experimental phases with some things, and maybe, you know, there's certain things that, you know, that, that CIOs and, and other technology leaders and business leaders should really be watching out for, saying, hey, look, at this is, we're still in the experiment phase where we don't know where this is going. Do you see any of those kind of blind spots, maybe? There, there is blind spots, and you have to be very careful about, you know, turning something on and not watching it, yeah. right? So the, the whole promise of AI is you train it, um, and then it learns as it goes. But what if it's learning more than it should? Yeah. Uh, like what if and, your kids are watching too much TV and it's the wrong cartoon? And uh, like, well, exactly. you got to change the channel. <laughs> well, <laughs> ML is not much different. Well, yeah, no, but a combination of just enough or a little bit too much or a little bit too little, a little bit too little we're going to know because people are going to say, hey, it doesn't do what I want it to do. But when it starts to give too much, right, then what happens? And, and this is where... Historically, you know, humans by nature make those mistakes, right? We, we, we take on something, we do something, we think it's healthy. It's the next keto diet, right? And all of a sudden people, people are getting sick. Um, you know, it, technology can have the same impact, right? It's, it's this whole same thing with staring at a, at a smartphone. Yeah, they're wonderful and they're great, but the social media aspect of us looking down all the time, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, osteoporosis and back problems and neck problems exactly. and muscle problems and all these things. Who knows what AI is going to look like when that happens, right? And what kind of impact it's going to have, but it's something we have to look at now. We have to kind of be asking all the right questions every step of the way, or, you know, the big or, who is then yeah. what, right? Yeah. yeah. I know, I like that point of just of watching. I think that's that's the key thing. So I think that's probably one of those uh, things for, for technology leaders. Just keep, keep your eye on the ball, because it is. Once you start looking somewhere else and feeling like, you know, it's a set and forget, 
strange things start happening. Stuff falls into the wrong hands. People start using because any technology, it's going to be used for everything eventually. And, and that's a scary thing. And, and be, be prepared to govern before governing bodies step in. Oh, yes. Right? Because Self-regulation is way better than... It, uh, if you regulate <laughs> and you keep it under control and you make sure you're using the right information, then when government puts in controls, right, you're probably already there. If not, you're probably better than they are. And, and so it's to, it's to be careful and be weary, you know, of, of those sorts of things. And, you know, for, from my experience, because I participate in a lot of these discussions, it's all coming. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Warren, thanks for joining the CIO Exchange podcast. No, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to the CIO Exchange podcast. For more conversations with technology leaders from around the world, consider subscribing to this podcast. And to get video perspectives and deep research, visit vmware.com slash CIO.